good to be together at a distance today. Um, hopefully you uh, got to text some people this morning and uh, uh, got to get some good responses and um, kind of visit with people that maybe you haven't for a while. Uh, you know, as, as we kind of go through this um, time in our history, there's lots of adjustments that we, we, we make and we have to kind of change up doing and stuff. And um, one of the things I want to do this morning is, is I just want to say hi to, to some of our, our, our global team. And uh, I want to say hi to uh, Nelson and Vicky and um, Sanjay and, and uh, Debbie and, and just uh, Timothy and Yoon. And, and I just want to say um, you guys are awesome and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing and uh, hang in there. We're praying with you and we're together uh, in the spirit. Um, this week, uh, just kind of thinking about, you know, we're going on multiple weeks of kind of being at home and, and uh, kind of being with our families or, or wherever you're sheltering. And uh, it was fun. We kind of did a family bike ride this week and, and rode out to Mr. T's and got some donuts and, and uh, we're not really a, a, a altogether bike riding family, but we've become that because of our extraordinary circumstances. And, and it's just been kind of cool to do this. I'm, I, am, I have to admit we're doing pretty well, but I, I'm, I'm not sure how long uh, the roommate situations are going to go super well. So um, we can, of course, all be in prayer for one another that, that our houses are, are peaceful. Um, I want you to uh, do something for me this morning. I want you to uh, use your imagination and uh, hopefully this won't be too difficult uh, for all of us. And so what I want you to do, wherever you are, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that you are in, in a room. Um, not, not a whole lot of stuff in the room. Maybe a chair, maybe a bed, uh, maybe a desk. Um, and uh, I want you to imagine in that room that, that you can't leave that room, that you're stuck there, that that's where you have to stay. Uh, you can't go out, but you're, you're stuck there. And, and uh, you have very limited visitors. Uh, every so often, somebody might come and visit, but, but, but not very often. Uh, you can only communicate by writing letters. You don't have anything else. You don't have a phone. You don't have, you're not able to text. You're not able to do anything else. But, but you, you only can write letters, and that's the only way you can communicate with people outside of that. And you have no idea when this situation is going to end. Is that hard to imagine? Probably if I asked that a month ago, we would have a harder time putting ourselves in that place. But today, that's not really a huge stretch of our imagination. Uh, now, we're not in that kind of, we're not exactly in that situation, um, we can, we can go out and do, do essential things. We can go out and go for a run or a walk or a bike ride. Uh, we have the ability to, 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 to visit online and, 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 and video meetings and, and, and texting. And, and, and we even get to see people in person from uh, uh, you know, a, a safe distance. Um, but the reality is, is the, the, the scenario that I described that we imagined is exactly what Paul's situation was when he wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians uh, while, while he was under what I would call shelter-in-prison order um, from his government because he was uh, arrested. He was, he was in, in a prison situation, so he was in a room and he was under guard in Rome. And so while we're in this shelter-in-place 
um, Paul, I would say, was in the shelter in prison. And so he kind of had this situation. And it's interesting that we are walking through and we're finishing up the, the letter that he wrote to the Colossians today while we, were, we are in a situation that doesn't exactly mirror Paul's situation, but it does relate to Paul's situation. And Paul wrote this out of a difficult circumstance, a difficult environment, just like we're, we're facing today. And so I want to review a little bit before we get to this last chapter of Colossians. And, and so really, if, if I were to summarize uh, the, the book of Colossians into, into a couple statements, one would be this, that Jesus is greater than anything or anyone else you could, you could place all your hope and your trust in. Jesus is greater than anything or anyone else that you can place all of your hope and trust in. Um, that's really what, what Paul's saying in Colossians, is that Jesus is superior, he's supreme, all of those things. Whatever it is that we want to place our identity or our trust or our hope in, Jesus is greater. And second, because you've identified yourself with Jesus, you are defined and identified by Jesus. He said that again, because you've identified yourself with Jesus, you are then defined and identified by Jesus. The world and the culture around us just says so many things about how we need to find ourselves. We need to find our true identity. We need to, we need to do all these things and, 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 and be who we are meant to be and, and all of those things. But the reality is that when we identify ourselves with Jesus, we are then defined by Jesus. We're identified by Jesus. And so we don't need to go looking for ourselves because Jesus has actually gone looking for us and found us and identified us and defined us. And therefore, there is a, peculiar, a particular way, a particular way that you and I are free to embrace and live out our lives. And, and, and so Paul, having talked about all of this stuff about, about who Jesus is, therefore who I am, who we are, then, then what happens is, is that Paul ends his, his letter to the Colossians by saying, so this is, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want to leave you with. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 2. And I want to just read verses 2 for 6 to start us out. And so Paul, remember, from a room under guard, as he's sheltering in prison, he writes this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I might make clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of the use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so he, he begins his kind of final thoughts. He ends by saying, here's what I want your life to be characterized by. Basically three things. Here's the three things I want your life to be characterized because, because who Jesus is determines who I am and then how I then live follows that. 
Because you are identified in Jesus, you are free to live in a way that is dependent upon only Jesus, not the circumstances that surround you. See, Paul was not dependent on the circumstances of whether he had freedom of movement or limited movement. Paul was in prison, and so he was, he was very much limited in what he could do, and he had no idea how long this process was going to take. And so he says, these are the things that need to characterize you because of Jesus and being identified with him and in him. So basically, he, he gives us three things, that we are called to a particular prayer, a particular walk, and particular speech. And so the first thing, he, he says this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And, and, and right there, he, he basically says this, that our prayer needs to be a particular kind of prayer. That one, that we need to be steadfast in prayer. As, as people who know Jesus Christ, we don't quit praying. We don't just pray if we have a need or a crisis or we feel like it. We pray because, because that's, that's what we are called to do, and, and that's how we stay connected. In fact, prayer is the atmosphere of our relationship with Jesus. Prayer is that which we breathe that really gives us breath in our relationship with Jesus. And so prayer is that atmosphere of our relationship with Jesus. And, and so we, we don't stop. We go all the time. And, and even thinking about it, I would, I would think that even during this time, I would assume that maybe some of our prayer lives have been ratcheted up a little bit because of the situation that we're in. But he says, not only does it need to be steadfast, steadfastly pray, but there's three characteristics that he describes the one who follows Jesus and has surrendered to Jesus, that person's prayer life looks like. And the first thing he says is that it is watchful. He says, being watchful in it he says, with thanksgiving. So being watchful, watchful is that idea that it is with energy. It is with alertness. It's not just routine, but, but, but it is aware of the things going around us. It's not blind prayer. It's not prayer that ignores the, the reality around us, but it's watchful. And as we watch what's going on in the world around us and in our community and in our, in our gatherings, then, then that's what watchful prayer is. We're aware of what's going on and we are energetic in our prayer. And, and so he says, being watchful in it. And then he says, with thanksgiving. This, this idea of gratitude and thanksgiving, Paul has had this thematic throughout Colossians and it's thematic through God's word that those who have been rescued by Jesus, those who have a relationship with God are characterized. One of their main characteristics is that they are thankful because they've recognized what God has done. And so with sincere gratitude, he says that we pray. So not only are we watchful, but we're thankful and grateful as well as we pray. And thirdly, it, it, he basically says that our prayer needs to be purposeful. Look what he says in verse three. He says, at the same time, while you're being watchful and with thanksgiving, pray also for us. Pray also, be specific, be purposeful in your prayers for us. And what does he ask? He says that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He says, be purposeful in your prayer, specific and informed. He's saying, look, this is, this is what I need. I, I, my prayer and what I want you to pray with me is that God would open a door for us to preach the word to explain the mystery of Christ. And I think it's really interesting here 
and it's what he doesn't ask for. Because I'm thinking, like even right now, if I'm Paul, I would be praying, I would be asking you to pray that the, the prison doors would be opened and I would be able to walk out. What are we praying today? We're praying that this, this whole thing ends so that we can go back to life like normal. But what does Paul pray as he's sheltering in prison? He says, pray that the doors will open, not of to my prison cell, but that the doors would open for an opportunity to speak about and to proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul is more concerned about the fame of Christ than his freedom. Paul is more focused on the reign of Christ than he is about his own rights. And and so what, what Paul says to us in this first thing is that regardless of our circumstances, because we are in Christ and defined by Christ, that, that we need to continue to pray. We don't quit. We pray with watchfulness and thankfulness and purpose. And then he moves on. And he says, secondly, in, in verse five, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So not only does he talk about our prayer, but he talks about our walk, our daily conduct, I was reading a story about, about a pastor from years ago, Dr. Will Houghton, who was, uh, became the pastor of a church, the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta. And so they brought him to Atlanta. He became pastor of this church, and a, and a man in the community was skeptical of Jesus and the church, and so he actually hired a private investigator to follow him around for about a month. And so Unbeknownst to the pastor, there was a private investigator following him around and watching what he was doing and taking note of of everything that he said that he was able to hear. And at the end of this time, this this private investigator came back to the man who hired him and, and, and his report included this, that this pastor's life matched his preaching. And as a result of what the private investigator experienced and saw without even meeting the pastor, he became a follower of Jesus because of this man's walk, because of what he saw in his life. And and, and so I guess one of the things that that really brings up for us is this, is is the people who see you today, the people who see your, your virtual presence, the people who see you maybe going outside and getting some exercise, the people who see you driving in your car, the people who see you at the grocery store. Would they be convinced that Jesus is legitimate? Would they want to surrender their life to Jesus? Would they want to follow Jesus because they just see how you walk? Or would they be pushed away from Jesus. You see, Paul says, here's how I want you to walk. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Wisdom meaning not the world's wisdom, not my wisdom, not our culture's wisdom, not not anybody's wisdom, but rely on the word of God, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and the example of Jesus Christ. 
That's the kind of wisdom we're called to walk in. The wisdom that we get from God's word, the wisdom we get from the promptings of the Holy Spirit inside of us and the example that Jesus set for us. That's the kind of wisdom he's calling us to walk in. And he says, among outsiders, making the best use of the time. Those outsiders that he's talking about are those who need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ and also those who are even opposing the message of Jesus. So he says, walk in wisdom with outsiders. A way that they will draw, just like that pastor did as this private investigator was following him. He was walking in wisdom with an outsider and he didn't even know it. And he says, making the best use of our time. And again, what Paul says there, it's not just about like good time management or scheduling or, or being organized. It is about urgency because the window we have to influence people is always shrinking. And so we need to make the best use of our time. Here's the reality. The window that we have to impact people in the season that we're currently in is shrinking. It will end and we will move on to another season of, of life and interaction. But how can we then, by our walk, make the best use of the time that is in front of us? Because that window of time is shrinking. How can we connect with people in ways maybe that we don't always connect with them? How can we connect with people maybe that God has been calling us to, but we just haven't done it because we've been too busy? And so he says, this is how, in other words, he just simply says this, be on the lookout for opportunities to minister to unbelievers. That's, that's what he's saying. And, and make sure that as you walk, you are looking for those opportunities to minister to those who don't know Jesus. Talks about our prayer, he talks about our walk, and then he talks about our speech. In verse six, he says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he says, let our speech then be gracious. And, and, and our graciousness in our speech isn't dependent on how people speak to us, how people treat us, what people think of us. Our speech is called to be gracious to people, not dependent on them, but dependent on our experience with Jesus. So he says, let your speech be gracious. Again, this is coming from Paul, who is in a prison room. All of his rights and freedoms have been taken away and he's stuck. Yet he says, let your speech be gracious. And then he says, seasoned with salt. And in the first century, salt was used for so many different things. It had a preservation, a, a flavoring, all kinds of things that salt has positive impact for. And, and what he's saying by seasoning our speech with salt is that our speech should greatly benefit those around us. And part of that is, is, is lovingly, and we, we say this over and over at Crosspoint, that love is defined, it is where patience and kindness and honesty intersect. And so our speech needs to be patient and kind and honest, and, and it needs to be seasoned with salt that way, that it has to be a benefit to those around us. And I wonder if we took a quick inventory of our speech lately, even over the last few weeks, would people characterize your speech as gracious and of benefit to those who hear? 
something to think about as we work to reflect Jesus in our lives. And and so Paul goes through this and he says, this is what I want you to be characterized by. Because you are in Christ, because you are identified by Christ, and you don't have to figure any of those things out, I want you to steadfastly be in prayer, watchful, thankful, and purposeful. I want you to walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time that you have, the window that you're in. And, and, and thirdly, I want you to make sure that your speech is speech that brings life and hope and encouragement and peace. We'll come back to that in a second, but I wanna keep going in the, in the text. In verse seven, as Paul kind of finishes off his, his letter, he, he speaks He kind of gives just kind of an ending statement and it's easy to just fly over this really quickly and miss what he's saying because he mentions a handful of people and then he says, okay, I'm done. I'm all done writing. We'll see you later. And it's easy to to miss the people who are in this list and why it's significant. Let me read this to you. Verse seven, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, in other words, Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's that prayer that Paul describes. For I bear with For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to those brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you have also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So there's this list of, of names that Paul throws out. Some he describes a little bit about. Some he doesn't describe much. But, but I want to tell you a little bit about this, this group of people that Paul talks about. This is a group of people that were in community with the Apostle Paul. These were people who had been part of his ministry. You see, Paul was not just out there by himself, like, like just a loner doing the work of the ministry. He had people who, who were conduits to make him successful and effective for the gospel. God placed him in a community. And, and so Tychicus is, is, he says, he's a fellow minister and servant of Jesus Christ, but he says, he's gonna come and tell you what's going on. In fact, he has this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. He's bringing the letter to you. And along with that, he's bringing some other letters. And so Tychicus is kind of like a minister and a mailman. 
He's, he's bringing the mail the Paul, what, that Paul writes. He's taking that mail to the churches that Paul's writing to. And then he says, with him is Onesimus, who is actually a runaway slave from Colossae. And, and, and so he runs away from his master, his owner, Philemon, and ends up encountering Paul, probably in Rome. And then either he has a... a, a a faith encounter with Jesus at that point or somewhere along the way. And then Paul sends him back with Tychicus with the letter he wrote to Philemon telling Philemon of Onesimus' faith. But Onesimus is this runaway slave. And then he mentions three people who are, three Jews who are with Paul, who are encouragements. One is Aristarchus and he calls him a fellow prisoner. He's a convict with him. And he mentions Mark, who's the cousin of Barnabas, who went on a, on a journey with Paul and, and flaked out. And Paul said, I don't want to have anything to do with Mark. But, but see, Mark was a quitter. He was unreliable. He was flaky. But he was restored by the power of Jesus. And then he says, Jesus, who is justice. He was just this Jewish guy who was apparently an encourager and a fellow worker of Paul. And he says, I've received great encouragement from him. And then he mentions Epaphras, who is, who is a Colossian, and he was basically the church planter. He's the one who planted this church that Paul's writing to. It seems like he may have also planted the church in Laodicea. And so he mentions him. And then he mentions Luke, who's a doctor and a historian and the, one of the gospel writers. And then he mentions Demas by name only, who apparently was a servant and, and someone who was participating in the gospel and the spread of the gospel. But, but later, we read about Demas after Paul writes to the Colossians in 2 Timothy 4.10, we learn that Demas turned away from Jesus and embraced the world and betrayed Paul. And so there's this betrayer and in, in, in this, this, this person who abandoned the faith in this list as well. And then he mentions Nympha, who's this, this single woman uh, who apparently had some, who was successful in, in her community and culture, who hosted a church gathering in her home in Colossae. Then he mentions this last person, Archippus. And he basically says, tell him to keep going, keep holding on to the ministry God has given you. Apparently, he, he says, keep going regardless of circumstances. Trust God's calling. And so we look at Paul's stated community, all of these people. And remember that Paul is in prison. He doesn't get to see these people regularly. The only way he can communicate that with them is through letters that he sends. But he mentions these people because they are significant in his growth as a minister of the gospel and as a Jesus follower. Paul's community was made up of all kinds of people, a mailman, a slave, a convict, a quitter, a reject, a doctor, a church planter, a betrayer, a wealthy and generous single woman, and a guy who seemed to need serious encouragement. Which should say to us that God can use anyone for his glory and his kingdom at any time. See, these were the people who were the conduit for Paul's success in ministry, and they were having their own ministries as well. So what does this mean for us? So what does this mean for us today? And here, here's, here's the thing that we learned from Colossians. In Christ, 
is the defining characteristic of your life and activity. Being in Christ is the defining characteristic of everything. Everything else is subject to the character and mission of Jesus. Everything else, no matter what it is, it is subject, submissive to the character and ministry of Jesus and the mission. And so we need to recognize that, that it is Jesus who defines us. We don't need to find ourselves or define ourselves because Jesus already has. And so I wanna encourage you this week to two things. One is take an inventory and two is make some contacts. So one of the things that I want you to do is take an inventory this week as you shelter in place. First of all, take an inventory of your prayer. Has your prayer in the recent past been characterized as watchful and thankful and purposeful? Does that characterize your prayer? I, I wonder where, where we are as a church and the church global. Are we humbling ourselves before God and crying out to him? Because really, the, the way that this whole thing gets resolved is through the power of prayer by God's people. Second thing I want you to take an inventory of is your walk. Are you walking in wisdom with outsiders? Are you walking with wisdom right now? Would people who see you from a distance, wherever you are, they see your, maybe your online presence, maybe your physical presence, would they recognize Jesus in you? How is your walk right now? And thirdly, I'd like you to take an inventory of your speech. Is it gracious and a benefit to those who hear? What kind of comments are you making online? What kind of things are you texting people? What are you saying in those, those, those precious and significant moments of person-to-person -person conversation when you see someone? Take an inventory this weekend, and as you do that, look to see how you can reflect the character of Jesus better this week. And finally this, we see this list of people that Paul names so I wanna ask you this question. Who has God given you so that you can fulfill the ministry you've received? Who has God given you to fulfill the ministry that you've received? You may not be with those people right now, but here's what I wanna challenge you this week. Here's your homework. Maybe you have a little bit of extra time. I would encourage you to get in touch with at least three of the people who God has given you to fulfill the ministry that you've received from him. And I would even encourage you to write them a letter. Go old school like Paul, but, but contact them and let them know their value and how they've impacted you and how they've helped you to fulfill the mission Jesus has given you. Do that this week because we need that encouragement, especially now. Maybe God has us here so that in part we can do that. This weekend is Easter weekend. We've got Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. 
We're gonna be having both of those services and, and, and we're looking forward to, to being with you in spirit and in the name of Jesus. And so Friday, I wanna ask you something. You definitely wanna join us for Good Friday service. It's gonna be awesome. And one of the things we're gonna participate together in is sharing of communion, which is remembering the sacrificial death of Jesus for your sins and for my sins on the cross. And so you're gonna be doing communion at home with us. We'll guide, but you'll be doing that at home. So make sure you're ready for that. Make sure you have some bread and some juice at home ready. And you know what? This is how we, they did it in the early church. They remembered Jesus in their homes whenever they got together like that. And so you, we're just doing this just like they used to do it in the early church. And so make sure you have it. You can do this and, and somebody in your family or, or somebody at your home or, or even if you're alone, you can have that and participate with us. And we'll give you the instructions as we go, but join us Good Friday. I wanna pray for us this morning as we go out and I wanna encourage you to take inventory of your prayer and your walk and your speech and get in touch with three people who God has placed in your life to, to help you carry out the ministry that he's called you to. Father, we thank you for the way that you have empowered us, for the way that you have encouraged us. And Father, even in this time where there are so many unknowns and, and people are so unsure of the future, Father, that you are with us and you are faithful and you have called us to be men and women of prayer and of a walk that reflects you and, and, and of a speech that will bring life and hope and peace to those around us. Father, thank you for putting us in communities of people who can encourage us and, 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 and challenge us to keep going. Father, I pray this week that we would look at our lives and we would communicate to others the, the power that you have, have given us and what you've done in us through them. So Father, I pray for every person this morning who's, who's part of this community and this family, God, that you would move in us in a powerful way. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.